Well, good morning. Good to see everybody this morning, all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Everybody's had a fun week of celebrating, and we get one more day, right? Tomorrow, holiday, so. And everybody's been busy. Hop. Don't tell me, you guys are, okay, all right. I know, I understand, friend. I understand. Um, it's good to see everybody, glad to have y'all with us visiting here. Uh, it's, I was going to say it'd be a lot warmer down here, but it's going to be really cold the next couple of days. So, oh well, enjoy it, right? Enjoy the snow-free weather, maybe. You have a lot of snow up there where y'all are? But it's two this morning. It's two. Okay, so 38 is not bad. It's pretty good. That is that is pretty good. We're glad to have you all with us. Uh, we're going to continue today. Um, before we, we're going to cover the next two parables, um, parable of the mustard seed and the leaven. Uh, does anybody have any, we kind of had to rush through last week. Uh, it kind of, we were running out of time, you know, running over the, the parable of the wheat and the tares. Uh, and I, I felt uh, it was a little bit rushed at the end, and I apologize, but there's just a lot there, and we were trying to stay, uh, stick to our time schedule. Anybody have any questions from last week? Do you remember anything that, well, y'all don't have any questions, but, uh, did uh, anybody else have any, any questions or anything that was kind of on your mind? We kind of ended with the discussion with church discipline about, um, about uprooting the tares when we have to, when we're called to. Uh, so, and remember, we had an interesting discussion about whether that parable uh, applies to the world in general or to the church specifically. Doctor Sproul, uh, his he, he thinks that that parable is referring to the tares that Satan himself had planted in the church. Um, you know, so there's two ways of looking at that, whether it's the, the wheat and the tares in the larger context of the whole world or the context of specifically the church. So there are two kind of ways of looking at it. If the good news is the application is the same. That's the good news is we don't know 100% for sure, but uh, the application and what we take away from it is the same regardless of how you interpret it. So. Anyway, so uh, we will continue then, and we'll read Matthew 13, verses 31 through 35. Matthew 13, 31 through 35. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field which indeed is the least of all seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which, is a, which a woman took and hid three measures, of, three measures of meal until it was all leaven. And all these things Jesus spoke to the multitudes in parables. And without a parable he did not speak to them that it might be fulfilled that which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you again this morning as we come to the end of our calendar year. It has been a wonderful uh, Christmas time season. And Father, as we approach and celebrate the new year, we just thank you for all the blessings of life. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we ask that this morning that you speak to us through your word. We pray that the Holy Spirit will be here among us, uh, giving us wisdom and instruction on how to apply it in our lives. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
I sat in front of you. I'm sorry. Sorry about that. I'll move back. I was not paying attention. Okay, so when you first read this parable in uh, in verse uh, 31, it says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Like a mustard seed? I mean, the kingdom of heaven, like the must, like a mustard seed? That's kind of odd, isn't it? I mean, if you think about, uh, we've talked about the vastness of the glory of God and His kingdom and, and the heavens and how they're so vast and beyond measure. And here Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which is really small. So at first, when you read it, you know, it's kind of like, where, where's, where's he going with this? And that's a good question to ask. So it says, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds. Now, we uh, try to make a point when we're studying through the gospel where there are, er- where there are when there are areas of scripture that uh, sometimes uh, critics would point to to say, ha ha, there's an error in the Bible. We try to point that out. You know, try to, to illustrate that. So, and we try to educate because we know that's not true. We know there are no errors in the Word of God. Uh, we believe that. Uh, if you don't believe that, then I'm not sure why you're here. Um, but we do believe that that there are no errors. So, when uh, a lot of critics of the Bible would look at this verse and say, "Aha! See, Jesus is doesn't know what he's talking about here," because the mustard seed is not the smallest seed. So a critic may raise a question. You see, this is the scriptures are not reliable here. Uh, Jesus obviously didn't know what he was talking about when he said that, so you can't trust anything he says. Well, it is true that the mustard seed is not the smallest seed. That's true. But when you think about seeds, we can put them into categories. For those of you who are familiar with seeds, and uh, Mike Jones is in the other class. Mike is very good with seeds. If you had talked to Mike about seeds, and I know there are others here who are the same, but you can put them in categories. All, all seeds are small, wouldn't you say? All of them are small. Uh, but you can put them in three categories. Seeds that are small, seeds that are smaller, and seeds that are the smallest. And the mustard seed belongs to the third category. In the group of the seeds, if you if you had to, if you could put all the seeds out here on this table, all the different kind of seeds, and start putting them in the categories that are most like each other, uh, you would have a, a seed, uh, a category with a, a small seed, which would they would be the biggest of all seeds. You by tracking here, then you'd have a category of, of smaller, and then the smallest, and that's where the mustard seed would be. So the mustard seed is of the smallest seeds. So it's an easy uh, to remember Jesus, Jesus often used hyperbole when he was teaching and speaking parables. And that's what's going on here when Jesus says the mustard seed being the smallest seed. He was using hyperbole, exaggeration to make a point, to get your attention. So it's, uh, there's no error, we can rest assured. Jesus knows exactly what he's talking about here. There are uh, no errors here. Jesus' point in saying that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, he was saying what? The kingdom is very small right now. You remember, in, in our, so in our study, uh, this gospel of Matthew, this life of Jesus, he is introducing something completely new. The kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of God is here. 
And so he's saying, right now, in history, in the time which this happened, the kingdom of heaven which he is introducing is very small. In fact, if you were to compare it to all the other world religions of the time, it's indeed very small. There were there's a plethora of other religions, other gods uh, in this time frame of that area of the world, the Mediterranean Sea, and that whole area, the Roman gods. So there were just so many other ideas about God. So when you think about that in the context of really what was going on here at this time, the kingdom of heaven is what or was very small at that time. Only a handful of people really knew what was going on. You know, so Jesus' whole life, you know, his whole ministry, he was investing in 12 people, a small group of people. But we see what happens uh, when he does that. So, uh, and, and given the context with all the other world religions of the time, it is almost this, this, the way as they were called in the early church, it almost seemed insignificant. I mean, you really think, if you really think about it, you think about the Jewish nation, you think about um, the, the, the few band of brothers that is teaching and traveling around with Jesus. This is like a blip on the radar. This is really, you know, uh, if you were to look at it strictly on the surface and you look at numbers and people, you would say, well, this is nothing. This is, this is just a little movement here. Um, it's here today. It's going tomorrow kind of thing. So that was Jesus' point in saying that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It's very, very small right now. In verse 32, or the second half of verse 32, he says, But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. So Jesus is saying, yeah, I know. The kingdom of heaven is very small right now. But just wait and see what happens. Um, Dr. Spruill in his commentary gave uh, an example, and I guess I knew some of this from his life and the life of his church, um, but he gave the a brief history of the St. Andrew's Church, where he pastors now. Now, I didn't know this, uh, so but it was a helpful example, I think, in terms of small things becoming very big things. So uh, in the late 1990s, when Dr. Spruill was down in Orlando, they were he was teaching uh, seminary. He was also working at Ligonier Ministries, and they had a Bible study with ten or about ten people in it, and it met in his home as a Bible study, and they met regularly. And so one of the members of the Bible study said, "You know, RC, we need to start a church. We need to start a church." This is the late 90s. That is not long ago. Okay, just think of where you were in the late 90s. That is not that long. It's 2007, almost 18. The late 90s is not a long time ago. So they said, hey, let's, let's, uh, let's start a church. And RC did what everybody does when they really don't want to do it. And they said, well, let's go pray about it. <laughs> and that normally your response when somebody asks you to do something you really don't want to do? You say, well, let me pray about it. That's normally your response. And that was, their, that was his response. He's very honest, you know, very his response. Well, he came back the next week and he said, you know, I think we ought to do this. He says, so let's, uh, they agreed and they were going to start, they created, uh, he said, well, first of all, we're going to make it a chapel because we want it to be small. They're going to make it a chapel. So they created, uh, St. Andrew's Chapel. They had 30 career, or excuse me, charter members. 30 charter members started St. Andrew's Chapel. This is going to be a small church now. 
If any of you know uh, today what that church is, you'll say, wow. It started with 30, well, it started with 10, and then 30, and now it's up over a thousand people. They've, uh, they've had to, they've outgrown one sanctuary and already had to build a new one. So just an amazing, wow, look at that. In the late 90s, I mean, that's just, you know, 20 years. And you see what can happen from something very small, so much so that they actually dropped the name chapel from their church, the St. Andrew's Church now. It's no longer a chapel. They figured we, we can't hide any longer. We're not a chapel anymore. Uh, so you can just think about it. You know, just you look at, um, at the way God works in time and how He can take something very small. That's encouraging takeaway, I think, a point of application here. So... Jesus, talking about this small mustard seed, he was saying that the kingdom of heaven is going to grow into something way beyond they can even think or imagine. Just as that uh, small group of ten had no idea that this St. Andrew's Chapel would now be a very large church, a Bible-believing uh, very church, they had no idea. And if you would have told them that, that was going to happen, they probably would have never done it. They'd been too scared, you know, you know? Don't ask God what's in the future because it'll scare you to death. Just ask God to tell you what to do today. Okay, just tell me what to do today. And then we'll worry about the future later on. So the um, the kingdom of heaven is growing. Now we know that, fast forward to today, 2000, almost 18, the church does continue to expand. It is expanding. It has expanded. Um, but clearly not everywhere. Uh, we can speak in our own uh, context that the church is in decline in America, but it's not so around the world. Uh, in Western Europe, there's only about 2% of the people who attend church on any given Sunday. 2%. That's why we're planting churches there now. The, that's why that's what would be the birth of the church, of the, the Protestant church. We're now planting churches there. We're sending church planters there because they are now classified as an unreached people group. An unreached people group, Europe. So when you look back here to the American context, I don't think anybody, if, if, if you would disagree with this, we can have this discussion later, but uh, most people would agree that the American churches or the American nation is in a post-Christian era. Era. Post-Christian era. Era. That's hard to say. Um, so... We know that our nation was founded on religious belief, biblical principles. Um, I'll make the I, I get into a discussion sometime. I think I can't remember who it was with. I said America was never a Christian nation. Some people would argue with me on that, um, and it was fun to have it. Who's really right or wrong? Yeah, it's just a matter of opinion, really. It's a good discussion to have, though. If you think through it, you think, hey. Uh, I say no, you say yes, well let's talk about it, let's debate it. That's a fun debate to have if you ever, if you, if you're good at debate, um, then just, you know, discuss that, uh, with each other. It's a fun, fun debate to have. But we can look clearly that the, uh, in, in America, the principle of separation of church and state, the our, our now government has interpreted that to mean they can never touch each other. You know, they can, we, we, and basically it was, the secular world saying church is out. You keep church private. You keep your beliefs private. You cannot ever enter the public arena. That's how they, that's how modern day America interprets separation of church and state. 
You know, don't pray before a ball game. Uh, don't do all those things, you know, that you can't do that we used to do. You can't pray uh, in, a, in a school or, or whatever. But we know there's a lot of prayer going on in schools. Um, you know, those, it's, it's interesting. We've made that comment here today that even though the government has taken that approach, remember what they did when the hurricane's bearing down on their state. Remember what every senior government official in our state did. The same ones who would say you can't pray in schools. When the hurricane's bearing down on our coast, what did they do? They gathered for prayer. God always wins. God always wins. No matter how we try to push Him out, God always wins. So we know that the church is growing. Where is it growing today? This mustard seed, this great tree, where is it growing today? Where it's growing in places like China. Oh, we talk a lot. We, we talk a lot about China, don't we? When you talk to an economics professor, he loves to talk about China, doesn't he? But they don't talk about the church. The church is growing there. Uh, the church is growing where? In Korea, in Japan, in South America, even in Africa, the church is growing. There, I've heard of um, uh, people who, who are not even believers who would look to see what the gospel is doing in Africa and stand amazed. Because the gospel is doing an amazing work in Africa today. And there are non, non-believers who even look at this and saying, this is amazing. Because this is the only thing that works. You know, you want to take care of poor people? It's the gospel. The gospel takes care of poor people. You want to educate uneducated people? The gospel does that. There's no government program that can do that. The gospel does that. The gospel transforms lives. It changes you from the inside out. And so God is doing amazing things around the world. Even though in our context, where we are today, you know, we don't see it. We see it in decline. That's okay because God's in control. The church. When I was talking about that, when I was in Ghana this last trip, the TV satellite that they had at the apartments we were staying in probably had about, I don't know, 30 channels, I guess. Mm-hmm. Only like four or five American channels and the rest of them were, were African or, or British or French channels. But out of those 30, there was probably 14 or 15 doing church services and gospel or just over half the TV channels. And on Sunday morning, I could walk out on the balcony and there was, there was a church service going on in a house here, there was a church service going on in a house back here, and then a building over here, just right on my apartment, three in houses. And these were people's houses, but you could hear, because they use a PA, and they, they crank it up. And, you know, it, it was shaking windows on our, uh, on our apartments when they were singing stuff on Sunday morning. But they're in houses. Just right there around my apartment, there was three houses doing church service. God is at work. He is at work. He's growing His kingdom. And if you can't find peace in that, man, I tell you, there's peace in that. That He's growing it. He's growing His kingdom. He is the one who is doing it. He is at work. And He's doing something here too. We can, we can say that the church is in decline. Nobody would argue that. Okay, you go, uh, remember we talked about Western Europe and, and the decline of the church in Western Europe. Well, our New England states, who, who follows Europe? New England. 
If you look at the trends, well, if it's happening today in Europe, the next generation is going to be happening in our New England states. And then where does it go from there? It spreads throughout our whole nation. That's the way it happens. You look at history. You just study it. That's all you got to do. If you can just watch it happen. You can just watch it happen. So, um, but again, we can we, we rest in that because we know God is still doing something amazing, even in the American church. So it's not a it's not a doom and gloom kind of thing, um, but it is a get ready kind of thing. Okay, it is a get ready kind of thing because the younger of us of this group, when we are senior age, it's going to be a different America when it comes to being able to gather here. But that's okay because that's what God has. That's where He has us, and He has us for a reason. So we can rest in that. We can praise Him in that. We don't run scared. Hey, I'm going to move. I'm going to move somewhere else. No. God's got you here. Then be here. It's going to be all right. He's going to sustain us. So then Jesus says that the seed grows into a tree and then the birds will want to come nest in the branches. The tree is so big. Now, when you let, you know, for a minute, let's think, think like a bird. Okay, don't call me a bird brain. Okay, but let's let's think like a bird for a minute. Okay, um, when a bird is picking uh, where they they want, to, especially the mama bird, uh, they're looking for a place of what? A place to make a nest. That's where they want to find what. And so when they're making a nest there, they're looking for what? Shelter. They're looking for rest. They're looking for security. It's all those things that mama bird's looking to do, right? She's that's where she wants to make her nest. And so you got you can think about that for a minute when you think about it in terms of the church. That's isn't that what we're looking forward to in the church? Rest, security, shelter. Aren't we looking for that too? We are. We're looking for that. It's a wonderful piece of imagery uh, that we can think about. Think about for a bird for a minute. She, what else does she want to do in that nest? She wants to lay eggs and grow little ones. What better place to raise little ones than in the church? To raise them in the church. That is where they also find rest and security and a healthy environment to grow and get fed both ways. To get fed spiritually and get fed physically. So we can think about it with the bird. And that just, I think that really helps me. And I know Jesus put that in there for a reason. John Calvin commented um, about this parable. He says, The Lord opens His reign with a feeble and despicable commencement for the express purpose that by His power, that, that His power may be more fully illustrated by its unexpected progress. A wonderful quote about the, the small things that Jesus has chosen. The small way that He is inaugurating the kingdom of heaven. So that what? So that His power may be displayed. No man's, but His alone. His power. He is the one who is at work. He has chosen the simple things to shame the wise. The very simple things He chooses. The small beginnings that He chooses. And He's there. He's there with here at the beginning of the church. He is still with the church. He is, he is the one who's growing the church. Verse 33. 
So he speaks another parable to them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. Now for the bakers in the room, there are some. I am not one, but there are some bakers in the room. He uses now a baking illustration. He's used agricultural, hasn't he? He's used that with the sowing of the, the seed. He's, he's kind of used a nature, you know, a seed to a tree kind of illustration. Now he's using a baking illustration. I think um, this is also, uh, the commentators that I read didn't really mention this, but I think this is another way Jesus was choosing to appeal to the women listeners. You know, I mean, because you can think about it. I mean, women, more the homemakers, uh, still are, but especially then too. Uh, they really, when, when you start talking about leaven and bread, they, they know what you're talking about. So this is definitely a way to connect, uh, with women. So he uses this, this baking illustration. And it was common practice to take, uh, of the Jewish women, uh, particularly, to take a piece of loaf bread and then put it into a lump of a new dough and then it would give just enough fermentation to cause the whole dough to rise. Uh, so it was a common thing here. So again, a little piece of something put into a a bigger piece. You think about leaven and think about dough. The dough without the leaven, what, what's it going to do? It's just going to sit there. You ever tried to eat dough? <laughs> you don't want to eat that, do you? Doesn't do anything on its own, does it? But when it's when it's when that leaven is added, then it begins to rise and produce the bread that you do want to eat. But it takes somebody putting the leaven in it. It takes the work of God to grow the church, doesn't it? He is the one. He's the leaven. He's growing the church. He's making dough, which would be very ordinary to look at and untasteful, but he is making it very beautiful, and he's making it tasteful as well. He said here that she hid the leaven. So she she hid it. Now, when you think, why did he put that in there? Why did he say it was hidden? Well, Jesus' point here is the work of the kingdom is hidden for most people. The work of the kingdom, the kingdom work, a lot of times is done in secret and is hidden. But just because it's hidden doesn't mean that it's not working. So you can think about it in your own life um, when you bring the application down, make it personal. Think about how many times that the Lord was at work in your life. It was completely hidden from everybody and yourself. You didn't even really see it at the time. But then, after the benefit of time, you saw the fruit of the work that was happening. It was hidden. But you didn't even really even see. It was like, like this, this hidden leaven. It's, it's, you took it and hid it. God has taken away a work. He's hiding it in your heart. He's even hidden it from you sometimes. He's hidden it from me. And the way He's been orchestrating things and bringing things to pass in your life. When maybe you prayed about a certain situation and uh, and it didn't it didn't come to be because God didn't allow it to come to be and you were disappointed. But then when you look back on it, you know, five ten years later, you're like, man, I'm so glad you you closed that door, Lord. Thank you for that. You saved me from 
A, B, C. You know, and I can see that in my own life. I know it. I've seen it on several occasions where I was heading down a path and I was pursuing something and God shut the door. He said no. And I was extremely disappointed. But only with the benefit of time, looking back, and you say, Lord, thank you. Look at what you kept me from. And it's just truly amazing to see God at work because a lot of times those things are hidden. But we know He's working. The Holy Spirit is working. God is working. He's building the church. He's growing it into this magnificent tree that is absolutely beautiful. In verse 34 and 35, He says, All these things Jesus spoke to the multitudes in parables. And without a parable He did not speak to them that it might be fulfilled which is spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. So Jesus is saying here that His teaching methodology, the use of parables, was a fulfillment of Psalm 78. That's what Jesus is quoting here. He's quoting back to Psalm 78. And so we see this teaching methodology right here before us and we've already we've already we've spent a lot of time talking about why parables we explained that a lot you know why why did jesus uh use parables and we've been there but it's a good reminder that it is also a fulfillment of old testament prophecy it's a connection with the old testament and then the new testament we think about the kingdom of heaven and that small start that it did make way back in the day, and we think about the kingdom of heaven today and where it's growing and what it's doing. And I pray that you think about the kingdom of heaven often. I pray that you consider it, that you consider what God's doing in the world, um, when you consider what God's doing in the church, when you consider what God's doing in your church, this particular church, and when you consider what God's doing in your life, in your family's life. He is at work. The kingdom of heaven is being built among His people. He's working in all those different areas. He's working globally. He's working in the church universal. He's working in this church. He's working in your life, in your family, which is your a little church, right? Our families, little churches, right? That's what they're supposed to be. He's working in your family. And so we know it's here among us today. When we think about this leaven, we think about the kingdom of heaven, we think about what God's doing. Remember that, and by way of application, that we are to be in this world, but not of it. And I, why do I say that? Well, I say that when it's very tempting for us to look at current events, whatever's happening, and get really worried about things. It's really, really easy to do that. It's easy to just, you know, I don't watch the news, okay, but uh, I hear about the news, um, and, I, and, and I hear a lot of people get upset with what they hear in the news. You know, and, and so, most of the time they're just in getting upset about what they hear. That's not what I'm saying. But my point is, 
when you're when you find yourself getting upset or riled up about that, think for a moment. Just pause. Remember who God is. Remember what He's doing. Because when you start contemplating on His sovereignty and what He's doing in the world, and you remind yourself, okay, God is building His church. You you realize, remember, that's the, we've used this term in here before, that's the meta-narrative. Okay? Remember that word? That's the main story of all of history. Okay, from before anything was to when things are made new. That is the main story. God building His church. Everything else is secondary. Everything else is secondary. Every world event is secondary. It's about what God is doing in the world and He's building His church. So when you get kind of upset or you get riled up or you get uneasy about a current event, you say, God, I know you're building your church. That's what you're doing here. And you're in this because you control everything. And so I know I can find peace in that. Again, there are things we have to to say and we have to do. We have to be against certain things. We have to. There's a fight still going on, right? We know that. And we still have to be engaged in the fight. I'm not saying you retreat from everything. My point is, you know who wins and you know what he's doing. And you know you're on his team. So you're a winner because he's already won. And so there's so much peace in that that at the end of the day, we can just rest in that because it is God who's building his church. None of Again, we talked about Jesus' methodologies. We talked about in ways that we look at church building. There are people whose job is to grow churches. That's what they do. You know, and, I, and, and there's a place for that. But at the end of the day, God grows churches. He's the one that is working. He is increasing churches. He's, he's, he's shutting down churches that need to be shut down. He's growing churches where they need to grow. He is building His church and He's doing the work. And there's a lot of freedom in that. Because God says, you know what? I'm the one building my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And it says, you preach the word. When he talks to the church, he says, all right, church, this is what you got to do. You preach and teach the word. You administer the sacraments and you administer church discipline. That's all you got to do. That, by the way, are the marks of a true church. That is the marks of a, of a true church. And we have instruction from the Word that Jesus says, that's what you got to do. That's it. You mean we don't have to come up with creative programs? I don't have to think about ways to get people in the, in, in, the, in, the, in the pews or keep them engaged or by goodness, by entertaining them? No. We don't have to do any of those things. Preach the Word. He's working. And then when you obey, you rest. The results are His. You see, the results are not yours. The results are not mine. I don't get the credit. I didn't do the, the work of actually bringing the results. When there's increase, we praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. When there's decrease, Lord, you're, you're at work here. We're being faithful. We, the, the Word is taught and it's preached. And we're being faithful. The results are His. The increase is His. He is the one working out a plan. He's remember his ways are much higher than our ways. His thoughts are much higher than our thoughts. When we consider his sovereignty and his providence, we are undone. I read uh, Shane's sermon text for this morning, 
And I was reminded about the fact that Christ died for sinners, for enemies. Man. Oh, we have so much to be thankful for. We have so much to be thankful for because we are no longer enemies. So, that's the two parables here. We're going to finish early today. That's good. That's that's about that's the first time that's happened in a long time. Um, anybody have any? We have five minutes left. Does anybody have any questions or comments or anything? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amen to that. When you fear God, you fear nothing else. And that is so true. That is so true. A healthy fear and respect for God's Word, knowing that we don't do it all right, we all sin, we all make mistakes, but when we do fear God, when we are seeking to please Him, we don't fear anything else. Whatever, again, the con- the results, they're His. He is the one working. When you start trying to manage the consequences, man, you get in all kind of trouble. In all kind of trouble. It messes up so many things. If you, I hope you know, I know I've seen it in my own life and I, I'm basically getting in God's way. I'm trying to be God. I don't want to let God be God. I want to be God. And man, that never works out for me. Any other comments or questions this morning when i was cooking breakfast charles stanley was talking about the same thing in his one of his sermons i listened to two of them yeah, he called me he asked me about it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know i didn't used to notice that but uh if you don't see how god's working in your life these days because you're walking around your eyes um, you know i talked about it several times in here you would you would do something on sunday mornings in here and I would pick a random thing to do on Sunday evenings, and they would be the same. And Charles Stanley was talking about this country not fearing God anymore this morning. And then it shows up here again this morning. If you don't see God talking to you, then you walk around the house. He who has ears to hear, let him hear, right? He who has eyes to see, let him see. Any other questions or comments? I would just like to say, when he, when he ends with the secret from the foundation of the world, mm-hmm. and you look at all the different parables and things that Jesus taught, <coughs> it's because he created all things. Amen. So he knows, and he can put this into perspective. <coughs> I mean, I just think that's a beautiful thought. We, do, we need to remember that Jesus is the creator. Amen. And, he was the, and that's a wonderful... Uh, reminder, I'm glad you added that because I didn't really touch on that, but you know, just all of us in here, I'm looking almost all of us are, are parents um, and um, just, you know, you can see it as a parent when you have such a small child and you tell them something very simple just, just do this, it's going to be okay because you know what's waiting if they do or do not do this, you know the end of it. 
And we just say, just, just do it. I'm, I'm dad. Just, I'm just telling you, I know what's best for you. Just do this. And I have to make things very simple, right? Break it down. I'm, I'm dad. I know better. So then we have to just remember, I, that's me. I'm the child. I'm the child before God. He's, he's made it very simple for me. He says, Jason, just do this. It's going to be okay. I'm dad. I know better. God says, I'm dad. Just listen. I've told you how to live. I know how the story ends. There's a lot of peace in that. A lot of peace in that. Anything else? Any other questions? Any other comments or anything? Thank you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this time together. Um, Father, we do ask that, Lord, as the Word has been taught, Father, we pray that You will continue to apply it to our lives. Father, we ask that the Holy Spirit just give us wisdom and discernment on how to apply what we see what we see here in the Word, Lord, and make it apply in our lives, in our, in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls. And Father, we pray that You will make us different tomorrow because we're here today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.